Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to our show where we geek out about stuff for upwards of an hour. <laughs> Today uh, we are a little short staffed and perhaps might be uh, short uh, in time, but maybe not. We could go down rabbit holes. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see. Today, as you probably have guessed, Mike and Meiling are not with us. Um, so Rowan and I are going to make it up by being. Uh, extra charming. I went out and bought a Slurpee uh, made with um, n- not real sugar orange blend and uh-huh. a little bit of their peach with 5% peach juice. I really Thrilling. don't I don't understand why they're proud about that 5%. That's like... It's uh, a whole 5% more than we could have put. Aren't we so responsible? <laughs> We could have made it half and half, but you know you really want that other stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, I was just very happy when I found uh, do-it-yourself home packets of boba uh, in the town where I moved. There's a, an Asian market, but it's a Korean-Asian nice. market. So, nice. Yeah, they have some They have some different stuff. I used some galbi marinade on some steak today. It's pretty tasty. Oh, yeah. oh, good. Yeah, the only problem is because it was produced in America. It's mostly corn syrup, so... <laughs> It's tasty for a reason. Corn on corn on corn. Um, yeah, but I mean, if they used honey instead, then it would have broken down the proteins in the steak and made it more tender. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. That's what, I guess, a glaze does. I um, take in a lot of um, meat preparation wisdom in odd packets just by being around my dad, who's obsessed with like different marinades and rubs and spices. Oh, um, did you did you listen to that one uh, live episode of The Adventure Zone where they got Brennan Lee Mulligan to run for them uh, the dad apocalypse role playing game that they made no, up? I oh, I had my God. it is it is so good. Basically, it's the apocalypse. All of the mothers and all of the children are gone. It's mm-hmm. just dads who have congregated together into these massive tribes of like the drama dads and the car dads and the grill dads and like the carpenter workshop dads um and like the the grill dads are like we we commune with the smoke of the forbidden meats (laughs) sometimes a family can be a tribe of 19 dads yes and sometimes it is but anyway in this case it was like uh four dads because it was the mackle boys and their mackle father um Mm, yes uh also just to be clear because it has been itching in the back of my mind since you 
said that Mike and Mei Ling were not with us. Um, they're still alive, we promise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are certainly on this side of the mortal coil. I meant Wink. they're not with us in studio. Yes. Um, they're just... But from which side do I say that from? Oh, oh, no, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Anyway. <laughs> this um, ain't the Halloween episode. It's still August. Jeez. That's true. Although a lot of people have been posting they want to start Halloween early and after the last year and a half, I don't see what's wrong with that. We're not probably hanging out with each other anyway. Again. Yeah, true. Uh, it's going to be another one of those years. I know that there's already been days in California where this guy was just orange, which is the most jack-o'-lantern-y color. It's true. I've been very lucky that it's not um, here yet, but... I mean, it's only a matter of time. And I, like an absolute fool, um, did not get my new air purifier yet, so uh, it's probably too late to get it at an okay price. Maybe. Or I'd have to buy it from Jeff Bezos, which Blech. I don't like that man. Yeah, he he doesn't need our money. He'll just use it to escape to space when the planet burns. Um mm -hmm. As he mm -hmm. is proven by explicitly stating, hey, thank you to all of my customers and also right. employees because you paid for me to leave the planet. <sighs> I had a great vacation. Remember, if you work hard, I might be able to do this again. Fuck that oh. guy completely. Um, anyway. Let us speak of fantasies and of joys that um, are accessible to us. Um, your meager podcast host yes let us consider what if mm, first episode holy crap yes first off probably should have expected it but fantabulous animation so oh, smooth the so cell dynamic. shading yes ah, uh, and the expressions yes mm. they they really really made it work the action sequences are so clean i think there was only like one point where I was like, that's that's a little bit awkward posing, but like the moment when she like goes through the gates on a motorcycle and then oh, jumps yeah. it and kicks it into the security tower Dude, and it explodes. That was when at that moment I was like, Oh, oh, it's gonna be like that. That's the kind of story where Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh Captain Carter is rocking a one hundred percent fatality rate on everyone. Um I mean they're Nazis. Captain Carter okay, I have to say, I could not have asked for a better sequence than a World War Two style dogfight where you're fucking where it's literally of your nation leaps from airplane to airplane. Oh god, yeah. To bugle a uh, rag, of all things. That was amazing. <laughs> My wife and I were watching that scene, and Stephanie turned to me and she was like, that's, that's a nightmare. <laughs> Good, if you were one of those pilots, you're, you're just like, flying I... in your airplane, and then a fucking <laughs> civilian <laughs> with a metal shield <laughs> flies into you and ruins your whole day and throws you out of a plane. She goes from one inch of that bomber to the other, wrecking every single Nazi's day. Ah, it was it like we're out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no. First episode of What If, Captain Carter. Holy shit. Really, really good. 
I heard some people complaining online, and when I say some people, I mean like some media outlets who write blogs about these things. Sure. Saying things like, this is just a rehash of, of Captain America First Avenger. And like... Do you, do you not get what you, the premise of the show yeah, is? <laughs> I'm not sure if you understand what we're doing here, but these things are always going to rhyme because mm -hmm. this is made of 100% winking at the audience saying, you see what I did there? You uh -huh. see what I did? Uh-huh. And, and clearly that media outlet didn't watch past like halfway through the episode because from there they get the Tesseract back and then... Tony Stark's dad makes the first Iron Man suit using the Tesseract, and the non-seroomed Steve Rogers is the first pilot of an Iron Man suit. Which is incredible. And also, he wrote freaking Hello from Brooklyn on the outside of it, like they used to do on fighter jets. I nice. loved this. Nice. It was good. I love the Cthulian horror. I love oh, that yes. they stuck to exactly what the Tesseract is known to be able to do. Mm -hmm. um i like how carter had the same sort of i'm paused for 70 years except this time it's like this strange like edge of the universe thing i freaking love it yeah, um that was yeah. super that was super super cool and we don't know whether she killed that abomination or just fought her way out the moment she saw an opening as but... far as we know she could have gone to a place in the universe there where there was just non-stop tentacles yeah yeah and, and she won she yeah. won she was confronted with the entire body of work of tentacle hentai and she persevered with that sword and that yeah she was britannia in that moment yes unconquerable <sighs> even the old ones were like ah no we're being colonized no uh, <laughs> oh god oh god the space beyond the stars was invaded mm. because the brits heard they had spices um i uh <laughs> yeah tentacle spices um mm. i've gotten to the part of uh lovecraft where i'm starting to discover some like small delightful things like the small places where you know dicto read this and it was like i'm making doctor strange exactly like this scene <laughs> it's gotten way more psychedelic there's this short story about the book that doesn't really go all that many places but essentially this person gets into magic and then loses all sense of like of belonging to his like time and space because of all the other stuff that he sees i'm like this is a wild take on magic i am really enjoying this mm -hmm. um anyway carter's thing made me think of that yes but to spiral back so many people came back Haley atwell came back yeah sebastian stan was bucky mm -hmm. it was a little weird not having uh chris evans voice uh steve rogers but it was a pretty close yeah it wasn't bad at all yeah and he had the same kind of timber yeah. Um, and also the way that they animated the way that he moved was almost exactly like the scenes of him from that movie. Yeah, when um, he was the, the scrawny, awkward kid. Yeah. yeah. Which, like, that was also a wild aspect of that movie that really freaking worked, and it's weird how that worked out. Which part? 
um, where they made him look very frail and then made yeah. him look very buff. In the original uh, Captain America? Yeah. Yeah, I think the the frailty was overextended by graphics, certainly, right? Yes. There was they basically there. They, they basically deepfaked Chris Evans' face onto another actor for the scrawny Who part. Who was that actor? That's what I want to know. Leander Dini. It is Leander Dini. Holy crap. Yeah. Oh. Anything else you loved about this episode? <sighs> I think we've gone over most of the things that I was most excited about, although it was really awesome finally seeing the S.H.I.E.L.D. hero given a sword also, just to go full on, I am the knight protector of this realm thing mm-hmm. for that theming. Um, <sighs> I was also very into, well, one, her whole aspect was great. They just like slightly sized her up. So yeah. she looked kind of like She-Ra. She's still herself, just Amazonian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, like, very much worked. It almost made her look like her. she was filmed closer than everyone. It looked like a physical effect, mm-hmm. um, even though it was drawn. I had to say I really like the Watcher. Um, the guy they picked for the voice is wonderful, but the way that they have him weave himself into the story to explain the moment of change was... Mm, the amount of over-explaining I really wanted. It was, it was, a. I didn't feel like it was an over-explanation. I really appreciated the, hey, this is what we're doing. Pay attention to this scene. Mm-hmm. Everything pivots from this moment. Everything you know, the whole story changes from this moment. Yeah. Um, that was really cool. I am excited to find out whether we are going to be following, uh a consistent line from these events that we've seen in the first episode, looking at uh, more of this universe that is created by uh, Peggy Carter having been the first Avenger. Uh, I'm assuming they're going to go off in a lot of different directions and not necessarily stick to this one universe to explore all of these interesting uh, fractal possibilities. But like the world where the first Iron Man suit was created by Tony Stark's dad probably gives Tony Stark a very different direction to go in. Um, Steve Rogers being the first pilot of an Iron Man suit probably changes the entire perception of that as a thing. Um, Sure. She was clearly summoned back by Fury at the end of the episode. If the usual timeline things follow, it's because Loki or a Loki-like figure is about to invade New York and the Avengers have to be assembled to go fight that. But is that what would happen? Or, oh wait, no, that's right. We In the trailers, there have been some of those, uh, like from the original Avengers movies, the Battle big wide rotating shot, Battle of New York. And one of them showed... Peggy Carter as Captain America in one of those shots. So Yes. Um, I believe... So I heard something about this, and I believe what they said is they will be exploring multiple different choices, but the stories that they were interested in and they thought the audience would be interested in would might be continued in a second or a further episode. Okay. Um, so my assumption is going to be that we'll probably see, like... 12 one-offs or 11 one-offs and the end will be the um, first Avengers movie with Peggy Carter in Peggy Carter's new timeline. Okay. Got it. The other thing is I know that 
at the end of the episode, the Watcher was just kind of explaining uh, his, their purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they said, uh, I do not, cannot, will not intervene. I am the Watcher. I would really love for that to have been foreshadowing. Oh, it's definitely going change. to be foreshadowing. My only exposure to the Watchers is the one tiny vignette in one of the Marvel movies where Stanley is sitting with them mm-hmm. and telling mm-hmm. them everything. Um, and uh, the comic book Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe. Oh, which, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which was not fun to read. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't into that one myself. Yeah. Yeah, I much prefer fun fighting for the side of good, extremely chaotically Deadpool to, hey, I am aware of my writers now. Now I have to destroy their creation so I can escape it, so I can kill them, so I can finally, finally have peace. <laughs> yeah. Um, that sounds terrible. Yeah. We can ask Mike and Mei what they know yeah. about the Watchers. So. Yeah. Folks, consider this a uh, part one because I am certain they're excited about it. Oh, absolutely. And we'll get to talk about this more in another couple of weeks when there will be two more episodes out. <laughs> I am incredibly excited to see things that are markedly different. I know they're doing a few different what-if stories that have occurred. I know everyone knows they're doing Marvel Zombies, but I also saw a few other things mm-hmm. um, that reminded me of some what-ifs. I... I want to see that variety. I want to see... I'm really interested in this, like, better story for Killmonger or a slightly different story for Black Panther. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing all the what-ifs that they come out with. And... (sighs) Man. Sorry. Just, um... I was talking with my brother about... How did we get onto the topic? We were talking about Final Fantasy VII and... Sure. Um, essentially about the remake. Okay. Uh, the one which, that looks all pretty. The one that looks all pretty. Um, spoilers for the end of FF7 Remake, anyone who hasn't played it yet or is interested. Um, the developers deliver the ending of that game as their thesis on why they should be allowed to tell a different story. Um, cause like... Interesting. Y- yeah. I don't know if I've heard this theory before. Okay. Um, So basically, Final Fantasy VII is a game that came out forever ago. A lot of people loved it. A lot of things happened. People got very upset about one specific character dying really early on because everyone loved them. And then from there, the story goes on and everyone learns and grows and becomes who they are and all of that kind of wonderful uh, stuff. Um, In the remake... uh, everything is not just prettier but there's also a bunch of weird extra content and there are these weird dementor ghosts flying around um and they do stuff um in the end of the game uh it's revealed that these black hooded things that keep showing up and are in league with sephiroth who is in this first part of the game in a way that he never was in the original um are Mm -hmm. Uh, things that enforce fate they're consistently showing up and making things worse uh, and messing up an otherwise good time Uh, and these are the agents of fate who will guarantee that the story you know is the one that you're going to get in which Aerith dies and your friends preventable deaths 
uh, were ensured by the intervention of these black doodly daws and all of those horror, all of the really awful, bad, destructive, hurtful events that you know from the game will happen because these things exist. Now go fight them and reclaim your future because right now in this moment, all of that is preventable. Ooh, that's the new FF7? Yeah, that's basically the that's thesis cool. delivered by the, the big ending fight is do you really want to consign these characters who you love to the future you know? Or do you want the possibility of maybe getting something better? And then is that the beginning of the game? Uh, that is the end of the first part of <laughs> Remake. <sighs> so anyway. is the remake the same game but then longer with extended stuff? Okay, so uh, FF7 was about a 60-hour game yes. uh, over the course of oh, four discs? I don't quite remember. Yeah, uh, I played the first 8 or 12 hours of it, but I just couldn't keep going. Yeah. It's not my kind of game. Yeah, so um, the remake is just the part inside of that initial city, Midgar. Oh. But it's still 60 hours long. Whoa. Yeah. So you just replay that for... Oh. Yeah. People paid money for this? Right. Uh, a lot of people were very upset. But uh, at the same time, because of the breadth and scope of the story, uh, it's, it's understandable. And also, if they're going to be spending so much time and money and effort... Uh, creating, recreating these spaces in beautiful HD, they want to make sure players are at least spending more than a few hours in yeah. that place that they spent forever making. Uh, yeah. It's still a bit ridiculous. It's about 20 hours too padded. Um, oh dear. Yeah, but it was it was very cool, a lot of fun mostly pretty interesting and you get to play around with more of the characters for longer and that's always fun my point was this was a big digression we were talking i was talking about that with my brother he said oh well that actually makes me interested because um it reminds me of stuff going on with eva rebuild in which it was recently revealed that um the although rebuild was originally just a or seemed like it was just a modern retelling of the original Evangelion series, uh, it, after the first movie, it started diverging and diverging more and diverging more until it was finally revealed that uh, this is not a fractal timeline. It is an iterative timeline. Something is being run to some end in which these things happen again and again and again with minor huh. changes that create larger changes over time. Which part of Evangelion? I've seen the show and the ending. Is this beyond that? Uh, so you've you've seen the original series from back in like the nineties. Yeah. And you've seen Death and Rebirth and End of Evangelion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first of all, I am sorry. Um, oh, thank you. I don't hear that enough for giving Evangelion that many chances. Well, no, it's it's more that um, End of Evangelion was made during a time in the creator's life when he was having a mental break. And oh, the sure. movie Hey, is... I'm not mad at him. Yeah, I'm no. mad at the fans who lied to me about how it ended. Yeah, fair. Like, you you cannot go into End of Eva without, like, 
knowing what it is and what it is is a movie length expression of someone's psychological trauma um rebuild is the same guy in a much healthier space many years later uh trying to properly like conclude wrap up the story in a way that is actually much more fulfilling and much less um about how everyone should despair of humanity's incapacity to communicate anything reasonably important to each other um yeah 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 rebuild uh is very different the first the first movie is just basically the first five episodes faithfully told and then they diverge a little bit in the second movie and then a lot in the third movie and supposedly it's supposed to resolve in the next movie so they're caught in rewrite hell forever trying to figure out just like patrick rothfuss how do i tell the perfect ending to this story that everyone's now paying a lot of attention to mm-hmm. yeah that's that is rough yeah um and to a certain extent we gotta forgive creators for not doing it perfectly or the way that we want um yeah. And I'm a big believer that you don't throw out the author for good or for ill. You consider the author that's in the work Mm. and the work that's in the author. Yeah. You know, like, they should be accountable for what they have written. And part of that is, you know, uh, taking a view of the way those things connect to each other. Yeah. a lot of nerd fights that we've been seeing in the last six years Mm. are people whose expectations around their values have diverted but the language they used to talk about it remained mimetically very similar Mm. and now as we realize that we have very different ideas about what these properties and these stories mean Mm. people are acting like how could anyone think other than this one take that i thought we all had Mm -hmm. yeah it's just something i enjoy about what if is the ability to say okay let's play with some fan fiction yeah let's do that yeah and honestly that is the thing that i really do like about what if is the permission to go yeah my fan fiction is a form of canon now (laughs) yeah anything can be canon it just has to exist within a infinitely branching spectral universe or a multiverse yeah i know that they probably don't intend this but merely because i love them both so much i will probably think of marvel cinematic universe completely containing both um the agents of shield and the defenders Mm. in some like in the way that like DC is good at zooming in and out of context mm. and Marvel more is almost like a collection of different this land or that land or that you know this theme that theme yeah almost as if the cinematic universe had its own zooming in and out that corresponds more to who made it yeah yeah I guess that's I'm sorry I'm trying to think of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe scope wise in terms of the golden age and then the silver age where like the the golden age is all of these new heroes are coming on the scene things are very hopeful uh 
the greatest scope that a threat can reach is like world ending and the heroes have to band together in order to be able to fight against it and save the day and all of that kind of stuff. Then you get out into Silver Age, there are heroes with incredibly insane amounts of power and villains to the same scope who can end universes or galaxies. Uh, and the threat continues to scale and we've had that now with Thanos. Mm-hmm. What classically followed that was the Bronze Age, where things get less heroic, much darker and grittier, more zoomed in, but a lot less hopeful. Um, yeah, many Defender stories come out of the original uh, Frank Miller's writing of uh, Daredevil. Mm, yeah, which I would say is still... Uh, it's more hopeful than some Bronze Age stuff. It's mm-hmm. still fundamentally... I have a power and I shouldn't have ever been put in a in a situation where I had to be the one being taking on the responsibility to try and take care of this neighborhood with violence because it's the only way it's the only tool I have to deal with the problems of this neighborhood and the people I yeah. care about. There there I think in some sense we are spoiled by the extent to which the themes of the Bronze Age have been over-exaggerated by perfections of certain characters, like, you know, Wolverine, who was mm. an amazing Bronze Age character. Right. And then they write, like, Old Man Logan, and you see a dimension of that in, like, the aughts that never existed in the 70s. Um, right. Very similar to, like, you know, other versions of the Marvel DC quote-unquote formula, like where you have with um, The Boys and uh, Invincible, where in many ways we are seeing comments of or, you know, further variations on that. Okay, actually, this is something... I know I've been talking a lot, but I'm going to try and keep this short. Something about... um, I think it is fundamentally true that superhero stories are... A what if question in themselves mm. but they're not what if a person had power mm. they're what if someone who had power was also a good person right and the thing about all of these stories that say well what if the person who has power isn't a good story is that and, like no it's you, clever sorry, when it you, was watched oh yeah, did i skipped, reverse it you skipped to the end what if the person with power wasn't a good person what you said was what if the person with power wasn't a good story (laughs) (laughs) yeah sorry (laughs) answer your own question it's not a good story we've seen that that happens in real life (laughs) right and to an aspect of it like when it comments on real life like when it's watchmen which is what is it like to police america from a highly philosophical point of view hmm or Invincible, which is what is it like to be used in a set, someone else's settler narrative, uh, mm-hmm. to be conquered softly mm-hmm. and merged into a culture where you pass, but everyone you love is unimportant, mm-hmm. you know? These are cool questions. <sighs> Things like the boys are just taking one level of fantasy over normal American history. When they do things like, yes, this ex-Nazi mastermind used his superpowers to make Katrina much worse um, by destroying the dike. 
similarly to how systemic racism made Katrina worse. It's it's just a lens you've placed over what's already real. Yeah, but like, a lens, but a lens that actually weirdly reduces the amount of political commentary possible on that thing it makes it a little too simple and one of the things i don't like about the boys it has an extremely simple conception of what superhero agency is which Mm. is why you don't see more of the weirder superhero stuff Mm. in that setting right um i am much more respectful of invincible which had a very reasonable well i mean if we're doing anything you would normally do in this kind of universe why not this like Mm -hmm. that writing was bum Mm -hmm. but so many people are trying to copy it by simply being more shock value and like i trust everyone that the new suicide squad is good but yeah a lot of people are saying it, it feels like that and i hope it's not yeah, same. I don't know. I I haven't watched The Boys. I basically looked at its at at the trailers and I was like, that seems like the writing might be uh catchy enough to make it watchable for an episode or two, but its basic thesis is what do you do if your society is ruled by indestructible, unkillable, tyrannical gods? The answer is you kill them. Okay, welcome to the revolution, but the revolution needs heroes too. Can we please have some decent people fighting for change? Yeah, it's not a very... It's a kind of shitty view of... It's not really a revolution. It's like a pure passion piece. A a vengeance thing. Like the way in the original trailers that the boys are shown like locking and loading getting these guns like super we that is the agency we already have in america that's right superman can fly and bend steel because we already have guns and it's horrible yeah basically superman's whole thing is i am strong enough that bad guys even with the most modern technology can't hurt me which means i have the strength to stop conflict without killing or hurting anyone. That's really important. That is social yeah. work shit. And that's why, like, those kind of stories get interesting to me when you, like, scale the power up and down. Like, mm-hmm. what, what if someone with, like, Spider-Man's a very similar character of a scaled-down Superman who yeah. really does not want to kill anyone or hurt anyone it's extremely rare when they get to that point yeah also is not a superman story because superman is a like good from good from good but spider-man uh had to learn to build his character yeah which is something i like yeah but also superman is is the cultural outsider who came in and wants to belong and peter parker is one of us among us like the whole pitch by stan lee is spider-man could be anybody yes um anybody sufficiently interested in science um, <laughs> which could be anybody which is true well like, sure but like the that's one of those things that is consistent across spider-mans other mm-hmm. than being quippies actually being intelligent even if they're not especially invested in academic study they're smart they got a good yeah. head on their shoulders yeah that's true when i was 
Uh, we should really move on to the other thing. Ah. I was really interested in novelizations of uh, comic books, where every once in a while I'd notice, oh, they wrote a Spider-Man novel. I would love to see how this translates to a non-visual medium, and really enjoying <laughs> when it's written. One of my favorite ones is uh, this really cool go down to Florida to film um, a rocket launch for the Bugle, but he runs into the Lizard, and also Venom's there. <laughs> so you get this amazing novelization that includes conversations with Venom, um, where like you really get Venom's sense of, we are best friends, and also, I could kill you! And Peter Parker's like, we're not best friends. You can't kill anyone. That is the deal. And Venom's right, yes, haha, that's the deal. Uh, it's uh. very... It's the genie in a bottle version of Venom that they had in the 90s for a while that I, um, I really like. Like um, uh, playfully misinterpreting your wishes exactly, in ways and that just, are really, really disastrous. Yeah, just generally making things worse. I love that version of Venom. Uh, that's the version of Venom that inspired the Venom movie, actually. Hmm. Um, the comic book they did of that. Uh, speaking of which, new Venom movie coming out, Carnage, looking fantastic. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> it's uh, the one thing. Did you see the trailer? I have not actually seen the trailer yet. No. Do you want to pause for a second and watch it? Uh, sure. <sighs> wow. Sorry, I just watched the first trailer. Apparently there's a second one, but I just really enjoyed that first part with... Uh, <laughs> with the symbiote uh singing along badly to music on the radio and overly oh. enthusiastically destroying the kitchen and making a massive breakfast <laughs> i must have just watched the second one yes that moment is fantastic what do you think <sighs> i mean i wasn't necessarily excited to watch the first one but I see these trailers and I'm like, if I see this movie, I'm going to have a good time. That's true. I think the body horror in this one's going to be a little higher mm, around yeah. Carnage. Yeah. Carnage's transformation. One of the things I really like that they do is that Venom's transformation gives you the feeling that the symbiote can live in his pores or can fold over itself as clothes to become itself. Right. It just kind of pours fluid-like out of him. Right. Or, like, from his clothes, which are the symbiote anyway. Yeah. So, in many ways, it's just recombining. Um, which gives, like, it is, in its way, a body horror sort of thing. This fluid biological thing. Mm -hmm. But because Cassidy is who Cassidy is, um, Carnage's transformation almost dispenses with the illusion that his human body is still human. Mm. It's extremely, like, alienated from humanity, completely stepping into the fluid principles on which the symbiote, you know, moves around. Mm -hmm. It's a lot less um, wearing, and it's a lot more... Being. Exactly, yeah. Because, yeah. um, you know, because of that unconscious rage and... Um, cruelty that Cassidy represents mm -hmm. but that you know yeah I am looking forward to them continuing the romance storyline 
<laughs> which yes. is present in the comics. Mm-hmm. Oh man, if uh, if they are brave enough to go all the way, because right now they're still in the and they were roommates phase of yeah. There's a little bit of they they hint at it a little bit. There there was this conversation in the first one that I don't think was meant to be romantic but was very clearly the this plot is shifting from you know female character to the symbiote mm-hmm. in a very like lateral equivalency of romance even if that's not how Eddie engages with that relationship mm-hmm. um and they hinted at it a little bit with the chocolate in the end which in the comics is heavily rooted in that like what the symbiote represents for Eddie that sort of thing mm-hmm. um but with a couple's counseling joke that they had in the second one. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm happy about it. Okay. Um, I mean, not just because I want to see Eddie Brock be gay, but like the character was always an expression of Homer and romantic like... Um, I've told you this story that someone uh, said, the way you draw Spider-Man is too homoerotic. And the writers were like, oh, you think so, huh? We This is actually our dweeb character. He is not this, like, macho man. That's how you see him? Okay, let me show you who Eddie Brock is. And Eddie Brock's, like, literally constantly doing um, gym rat stuff and, like, picking on Peter. It's very funny. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, So, the uh, last thing we were going to talk about, I think, was Bad Batch. Yes. We are Um, on the second to last episode? Yes. Oh, boy. Um, How do you feel about how they are taking these things? They're doing a really good, which is to say, very annoying job with the cliffhangers. Um, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It's true. Like, every time, it's just kind of like, oh no, something crazy just happened and the episode's over and now I have to wait a week. God damn it. Yeah, Uh, Disney Plus does a good job uh, making us talk about these things. I think they figured that one out. Yeah. Um, Also, uh, Crosshair being like, I got my chip removed a long time ago. I was like, fuck you. No, you didn't. What are you talking about? The burn is on the wrong side of your head, sir. <laughs> uh, was it drawn incorrectly? Um, I don't think so. So, like, when when all of the clones in that previous episode got the inhibitor chip removed, it was on the right sides of their head. Right. Crosshair's burn scars from the ion engine ship? engaging? Yeah. Those are on the left side of his head. Yeah, and he did say that it had been out for a while. And I have to say, I'm really glad. Because then they took that conversation away from what do we do about our brother who's brainwashed by fascists mm-hmm. to... What do we do about our fascist sympathizing brother? Brother, yeah. <laughs> he chose this. He wants... Like, I really like the way the writing is two soldiers fighting over the values that they fight for mm-hmm. that's amazing mm-hmm. um and oh god the way the empire is acting just everything is mm, pitch perfect mm-hmm. i'm i love this episode 
I loved everything that um, Omega did in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, even that she made shit too hard. That was well, great. <laughs> yeah, she was like, oh no, uh, my squad is in trouble. I need to deploy the training droid- droids because they'll kill everybody except for my squad who is too cool to die. Except that the bad guy squad was already dead. So what that served to do instead was make Crosshair fight alongside his squad for the yeah. first time in a long time. Yeah. Which, like, emotionally means something. Because in Star Wars, all of the wars are really star relationships. Oh, sure. No. (laughs) What? (laughs) No, not all of them. Okay. Uh, But uh, there are a lot of, well, I mean, all monomythic stuff is like, it's really about interpersonal. Anywho. (laughs) Speaking of interpersonal, um, I had a thought that we walked away from. I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. my brain is still stuck in venom. Um, That's okay. (laughs) That'll happen. Yeah. um, You you were like, oh, Eddie Brock. Yeah, homosexual. I was like, "Is is it homosexual if your partner is a genderless alien symbiont? Isn't that queer? Yeah, no, it's definitely more queer. I I have this... I wouldn't say it's an issue, but I'm in a similar state with all my relationships. All of my relationships are gay because mm-hmm. my gender is very queer. Mm-hmm. I, like, definitely there's some... I think the queerness is very much a cartoonish mockery of machismo. Okay, yeah. Because of the way that, like, the central emotional arc of the Venom character is a man learning to love himself through the love of someone who needs him. And Mm. as it just happens, that is the alien who lives in his body. Right. Um, And so there are a number of ways throughout the years that they've made that kind of show. For instance, um, in my, uh, in my favorite book of his, um, one of the things they end on is him feeding uh, the symbiote chocolate because the symbiote loves brains. But the reason is that brains produce the uh, hormone we make when we feel in love, which Mm. is also created by the brain in excess when we eat chocolate. Mm. So as Eddie eats this chocolate and creates this hormone, feeding the the symbiote and the symbiote starts to chill out and become less bloodthirsty um, and it becomes like this metaphor about being, you know, you can be macho. You just don't have to be a dick and violent all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really like the story and I really like the body horror. I always have. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, the the Venom body horror to me has always been like really, really weird. And I've never been sure how to feel about it. But I think that's part of the point. You're supposed yeah. to be a. You're supposed to get a little bit squicked out at it. This is something weird, and, but also for the person that it's helping, it's really, really good. Which is why even when it's venomized Spider-Man, it's like, oh, this is creepy. But he's also really strong when he has this mm-hmm. thing working with him. So I guess yeah. it's okay. Although and Spider-Man venomized was always a little bit more morally gray. So I have to say, the, he, it's not really in the Marvel universe, but I'm getting a very Marvel-like, um, made-by-fans feeling about these Venom yeah. movies. Yeah, definitely. Certainly more than, you know, Snyder stuff. Yeah. 
<sighs> Snyder, who famously came out and talked about how he was making these to make money off of chumps, basically. Right, because yeah. he has no respect for the fans. He doesn't like them, and he thinks he's better than them because he's an objectivist. Yeah. He, mm. Which is a terrible um, match for Superman. Yeah. Remind me the the ideas of objectivism. If is it just the idea that their objective truth exists? Objective truth is self-interest, and all things that are good are good because they are self-interest. Um, strength is good, and weakness and the helping of weakness is a type of failure. Gross. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, I will. This is a philosophy created by Ayn Rand. Oh. Who, you well. might not remember from uh, every single in-person trial they did for the Black Dahlia, because she was a fan of that serial killer. Gross. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's so Ayn Rand, my and primary, that's objectivism. <laughs> my primary exposure to Ayn Rand is the movie uh, Snowpiercer. In which, oh in yeah, which very her, Ayn Randian. Her teachings are taken as literal gospel on that train and enforced to the highest degree, to mm-hmm. the de- like to the extent that when parts of the machine and the train fail, they are replaced with literal human lives who do yeah. the motions of the machine and are a machine for the rest of however long. And people. Uh, People in the back cars who are not policed are locked in and forced to fight and kill and eat each other in order to avoid starvation. Oh, and God. Yeah. It, oh, God. Snowpiercer was a fuckload of the movie. It was... It was um, she did plenty of her own sci-fi writing. She wrote a alarmist book about a conformist uh, communist future called We, in which the pronoun I does not exist. Huh. Um, she wrote uh, Atlas Shrugged, in which all startup and titans of industry business owners say... I think the world's been too mean to us with all these um, 1930s um, New Deal taxes and social programs. We're going to make our own country out in Arizona. And all these people move to Arizona and live out their lifestyles, which is weird because they don't allow the people they rely upon to be their servants in, which the book does not deal with very well. Of course not, because it would disrupt this whole premise that she's trying mm-hmm. to... God. She, was, she is a survivor of the communist revolution in Russia. Uh, her parents' shop was destroyed, and she never forgave communism, ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And took it out on the rest of humanity, is what it's by, sounding like. Yeah, by writing. And yeah. creating this ideology which is extremely influential now in American politics yeah. because it is um, taking over a large subsect of libertarianism and libertarianism is taking over a large subsect of conservatism. Mm. And anyway, bad batch. I guess in the <laughs> end, when your friend decides to become fashy, the best thing you can do is show him that if he starts making the right decisions, you'll have his back. Yeah. But you ain't doing anything until he starts firing out the right people. Mm, that kind of Or is... throwing uh, Agent Carter at the right people. 
Oh, she's very self-motivated. She propels herself. It, it's true. She just her, needs a ride. Yeah. <laughs> With her flying boyfriend. Yay! <laughs> Captain Amazon and her flying boyfriend, Twink in Metal Can. <laughs> well, I was, I think a small part of me was like putting some kind of block between that realization and myself. But that's definitely something I'm going to be thinking about for the next few weeks. <laughs> Amazonian Carter with a little twink boyfriend. Yes. Yeah. 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 That will right. hit some people right in certain <laughs> very happy places. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's right there in the show. They spend several, several significant moments just kind of smoldering at each other. So oh, it's so great. <laughs> and he's so tiny. I love them. He's so tiny and she's so big and she still looks at him with stars in her eyes and it's wonderful. Yeah, that's love, baby. Mm-hmm. It can defeat Lovecraftian horrors and Nazis. The crafts of love shall defeat Lovecraft. Ooh. Uh, one of my favorite webcomic artists created a spoof called Wovecraft with a W, oh, uh, which reimagines... Kafulu, Kafulu like things with a very like Lisa Frank sort of aesthetic. Lisa Frank made middle school girls brightly colored uh, binder keepers and trapper keepers in the nineties. Okay. Um, Is this like uh, the development of like super cute uh, girls writing in post World War Two era Japan when the development of cute was a form of rebellion? Uh, no, I think this was an American thing that fed into that in a smaller way. Let me see if I can get... Okay, this picture's perfect, honestly. Wow, okay. But you'd also get nature stuff. Oh my god. Like that like first... this. That first picture, I swear, was on, like, so many quarter, like, uh, gotcha vending machines for stuff you could put on binders. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, this color scheme is very 80s and 90s. Yeah, yes, where everything looks like God just dropped some acid. <laughs> just a little bit, just a little just bit. Just a little bit. Just your, enough to keep things interesting. Each of your eyeballs took a slightly different drug. Uh-huh. The thing I like about Lisa Frank is in the era of media discourse that we're in now, people are very good at picking apart and looking at uh, style. And so you can, there are a lot of like spoof images of like Warhammer 40k or other stuff in Lisa Frank's style. That's huh. very fun. Um, <laughs> and then showing how it's very similar to like a Kincaid painting uh, with like a Star Destroyer hovering over the vista. Right, right. Which I really like. Uh, or all of the ones of like uh, Abraham Lincoln riding a bear with like twin AK 47s. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Aristotle riding a velociraptor. Yeah, that, de- that has that like mock renaissance <laughs> sort yes. of this is. All right, we should probably wrap this up. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, do you think we probably don't have time to talk about what we've do doing this week? But we could I give mean, a sentence. We we can. I mean, it depends just how much stuff there is. True. And how much of a list? Well, I mean, yes, we can do it in one sentence with lots of commas that will go for five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> many, many 
uh, punctuation marks. Okay, you mm-hmm. go first. Where are you getting um, into? So uh, this week uh, has been very hot. I've been getting into exploring my local environs now that I've moved. I bought nice. a um, music production keyboard, which I finally have, after many trials and tribulations, the right chords to connect to my computer. Um <laughs> Uh, so I'm very excited about that. It's got like it's got so many fucking knobs on it. It's got so many knobs. Oh my god. Um, I've also been reading a lot more uh, of the role playing game books that I have right now. Nice. I'm digging into Legend of the Five Rings, the Fantasy Flight version of it, a bit more. Uh, looking at the uh, what is the title of that book? It's the Ronin Supplement, but it also has a few other cool things in it, like rules for uh mythical godlike weapons inspired by uh indian mythology um which is great because it means that i can use those as a template for truly supernatural uh final techniques of martial styles and stuff like that as well and i've been playing a lot of crusader kings 3 and oh my god I've been cheating a lot and I had one really cool mm. dude who was mm-hmm. who was cheated to be as amazing as possible and the minute he died all of his children decided that his heir was a punk and they were going to dethrone him and kill him and I was oh. like but that's me I'm playing as that guy um oh no yeah so that was that was rough it was it was so annoying like my one cool die lived until he was 97 died his heir inherited and all of his children immediately just self-destructed and tore his kingdom apart and i was like okay accurate but also ow (laughs) so yeah doing that and also playing a lot of chocobo racing on final fantasy 14 nice yeah so that was a long list of lots of potentially interesting things that maybe nobody cares about. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you for listening to uh, two hosts you don't care about talk about things you couldn't care less about. It's more okay. at 11. <laughs> it's okay. We care about you, listeners. It's true. We do. Please email us. Um, this week, I have been marathoning the Unsleeping City like it was a narcotic i have to schedule breaks <laughs> i'm sorry the way that you phrased that uh yeah i just decided to marathon my cocaine <laughs> yeah i'm marathoning something rough right now caffeine i haven't yeah. slept in five days that's honestly caffeine is preferable to cocaine but oh <laughs> yeah um so yeah unsleeping city unsleeping city is amazing uh the uh, I'm going to talk about it more perhaps when you watch it or if there's a time when uh, you are not here and Mike and May Ling have both seen it, we might talk about it. But yeah. if I can like sell this to anyone who hasn't watched it, I've only seen the first season. Yeah, first season. Um, it is a D&D game set in modern New York where there is a magical uh, mien over all of reality and a lot of cool urban fantasy stuff and all of the holy magic is directed towards the civic power of the city um and the characters are really cool they've got this really awesome um sorcerer uh trans drug dealer who's really cool they've got this amazing uh human turned into a rat for being 
such a douchebag on Wall Street in the 80s, who is now learning to regain his humanity as a a sewer shaman. We have a paladin of the city who's Mr. March on the fireman's um, shirtless um, calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, and who's like really safety oriented it's, mm-hmm. it's very good and yeah they're um, all of the characters I there's a character I really connected to because they went through like a divorce story that mm-hmm. where the ending didn't take away from the meaning of that story and was very powerful and positive so uh, a good story a okay yeah it it was a good story it ended up not being what it appeared to be but it was still the theme was excellent and i'm really glad they did it yeah they, um the landing was such that they stuck it without negating or rendering pointless the themes that had built up to that point yes and um all in all like the storytelling is good the combat was fun to listen to the table banter was um, great. The GM has a good players are messing around. I will go with them to, you know, shoot the shit as it were. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, what else have I been doing? Um, you watching a lot of So What? I'm a Spider. Yeah. Um, I've been watching more. I'm on a slightly more anime kick, so I've seen a few more Fruits Basket. Those are the two anime I'm watching right now. Mm-hmm. And I've read more of my novel, but not a lot. And mm-hmm. that's kind of it, really, mm-hmm. for new things. So, yeah. want to very quickly throw out some recommendations. Uh, Anime-wise, um, How a Realist Hero Rebuilt the Kingdom is on on Hulu and Funimation right now. It is very good. Basically, the idea is what if a Japanese civil servant... Uh, was abruptly pulled into a fantasy world by a summoning by a kingdom that is on the verge of economic collapse because it was their last-ditch effort to get somebody, somebody to save them from debt. Um, And he's like, okay, I guess I'll take all of these lessons that I learned from reading The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, but in a wholesome way. <laughs> um, That's good. There's definitely a wholesome way to read it. It is highly sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. And and basically, he just he just works really hard and tries to do his best to like fix things for the kingdom. And unlike some shows which really lean into the skeevier elements, uh, instead there was an episode recently where like uh, they were trying to recruit people with talents from across the kingdom. One character showed up who has the special talent that they can speak to any animal, and any animal can speak to them. Uh, and they're like, well, we've got to adopt this person in order to uh, protect like this talent uh how do we do that we need to get them into the royal family and like the old king's royal advisor is like well why not make her a concubine and the main character and his fiance look at each other and they're like yeah we're not doing that that's gross she's 10 um right so i'm really glad that they came right out and were like no that's we're no no unacceptable that sounds very interesting do they actually get into like social science and economics uh, a little bit of it yeah and like the the basic foibles of a typical medieval kingdom and then start rebuilding the first thing that they did was sell off all of the 
royal families uh, heirlooms that were not inherently magical or had historical significance. Any of them that did have historical significance, they put in a museum where they could charge people money to see them and thereby get funds for uh, nice. getting the kingdom going. Uh, all the other ones they could just sell in order to have money in order to be able to start working on uh, fixing crop rotations and all of that stuff. Um, and also taking away uh, all of the uh, executive privileges from a very lazy noble class that had been getting away with too much for too long. Uh, nice. Yeah. So it's that one's it's it's a very f- chill show to watch mostly, and they have at least one reference to other anime per episode. At the end of the first episode, it's a Yu-Gi-Oh reference. Oh. Um, they did a Slayers reference in one episode, like Lena Inverse Sorceress Slayers, really old show. Yeah, they it's it's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, and then in terms of non-anime, you had a TV series that you wanted to recommend coming out. Why the Last Man? Yes. Um, Why the Last Man is finally coming to the screen. Um, written by the same guy who wrote Saga, so if you are a fan, um, I would recommend reading Why the Last Man. It is a story in which all male mammals die in the same instant, except for one man and his pet monkey. Um, And so society crumbles everywhere misogyny was strong, and only societies that had women within their structure are able to continue going with any sort of um, dependability. In many ways, uh, the story is a um, hard look at sexism, but in the... I mean, it is written by a man, and while it is thoughtful... A aspect of it, honestly, has a lot to do with trauma and gender-based trauma. Mm -hmm. To the point where um, it wasn't... Like, trans stuff didn't really factor into it in that, like... They didn't make a big deal over, you know, these are people with the Y chromosome... But then as you went on in the story, you found more and more trans men showing up and women who hunted trans men and wanted to fight them for, um, you know, their own ideas of, of feminine, basically because they're turfs, like they have this right. biological um, femininity thing by which uh, they see the world. In many ways, it is a um, critique of newer uh, feminism on older feminism. Mm. And a lot of ways, it's a critique on the male-centric storytelling of comics Mm. um, by subverting a lot of those tropes. But a lot of it is about the last man's uh, survivor's guilt and his struggle to with suicide uh which i found extremely powerful and relatable um and the show looks like it's going to be as awesome and as thoughtful there's some really cool uh conspiracy theorist um alternative history stuff with america Mm -hmm. where if you know a little bit about uh the revolutionary war uh the author drops these cool like shadow government stuff that's fun um 
but yeah it's very thoughtful um the ending was very controversial i wouldn't say it was my favorite and i hope the they're able to like shift some stuff around in the show but i also still love it for whatever it is and i think even if they do a different change or they don't change anything i'll probably still really enjoy seeing something i followed so religiously come to life mm. and i recommend other people check it out or just wait to see it on tv yeah when is that coming out September 13th. That's right. It's the week of my birthday. Yeah. Yes. So as of the time of this airing, it will be coming out in a, a month, basically. Oh, my goodness. That's going to be so great. Uh, they have this really cool thing where the astronauts up in the space station have not been affected and trying to get them back alive in a world that doesn't yet understand what's happened to them. It's mm. very interesting and cool. Mm. Um, and also a really cool post-apocalyptic v- variety that's very um, positive. Like people work together to rebuild society. Mm. Um, it's cool. Yeah. So yes. Um, if they want to get a hold of us, Rowan, where should they go? Uh... A-C-E-O-F-G-E-E-K-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G at gmail.com. That's Ace of Geeks Podcasting at gmail.com. You can email us there. You can find us on Facebook at Ace of Geeks, Twitter at Ace of Geeks, Instagram, Ace of Geeks. I I don't know what else we're on. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Gmail. Those are the main ones, I think. Mm -hmm. You can... um, Sign up for this anywhere you could uh, get your podcasts. Um, I know we're on most podcatchers. Um, yeah. Oh, and we also have a website. Um, Aceofgeeks.net. That's right. Aceofgeeks.net. Um, Rowan, if they want to find more things out about you online, where should they go? Um, you can't find more things about me online unless you're my friend or a hacker. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> If you, if you want to find some music that I made during the pandemic, uh, just some uh, interesting little video gamey and cyberpunky deets and doots and loops uh, that I made to, in order to prevent myself from going crazy and also try and pick up a cool new skill, I do have a playlist on uh, SoundCloud. Yeah, SoundCloud. Uh, there will be a link in the description of this episode. You can go check out that music. Um, I've been told by people whose aesthetic tr- senses that I trust that it's actually really good. So go it ahead and is. check that out. Uh, at some point, I need to set up like a coffee or something, just an online tip jar. But I don't have anything like that yet. So, <sighs> And where can they find you if they are interested in finding your work, Jarris? Similarly, I'm not really findable unless you are my friend. Um, or a hacker. Although, if um, we're on Facebook and you know a friend of my friend, it does seem likely that Facebook's freaking uh, friend request system will send you a friend request from me. I'm sorry if you accept that and then I unfriend you. It's not personal. Facebook wants me to be everyone's friend. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you could find some of my occult or religious writing. Um, at firstchurchinthemorningstar.com um, I believe the first two blog posts or the most two recent ones will be mine um, 
otherwise, we end this the way we end every Ace of Geeks podcast with... Hello, Hello and welcome, welcome to the, the Ace of Geeks, Geeks podcast. podcast! That was an Ace of Geeks podcast. Hello and welcome. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.